Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Love and Respect in Marriage. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. Let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Had some people come up in the break and start sharing with me things that we could have said about the husbands. and and. Uh, I tell you, there's a lot of things I can say. There's a lot I don't know, but we're just scratching the surface on things. And I want to encourage you that uh, all I'm trying to do is bring out some points that I feel impressed to the Lord to share. There is so much more. If nothing else, one of the things that's good about marriage seminars is that sometimes when husband and wife discuss things, there's a automatic resistance. They don't like to hear the other person say this and stuff. One of the positive things about a marriage seminar is that you come together, you hear me say it. And so you can go home and use this as a springboard to sit down with your mate and say, what did you think about that crazy guy? What do you think about what he said? And you can criticize me instead of making it personal between y'all and you can still get some things talked out. So this is a springboard into you working some things out. Don't let this be all that you hear is, is what I'm saying. There's a lot more that God has to share with you. Uh, through this. And so you need to let God amplify on these things. We're just touching some of the very brief things. To deal with the husband's role in 45 minutes to an hour is uh, nearly a sin. <laughs> Amen. Larry said it just confirmed to him he was doing everything right. And I told him, I, I said, brother, you missed what I was saying then. There's not a one of us in here that love our wives the way Christ loved the church. We may be getting closer to it, but none of us have gotten there. Let's look back in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to hit on just a couple of things concerning the women. Again, I want to uh, jump into this by saying that the Lord commanded the woman here to reverence the husband. And I believe that the number one need that a man has is respect, even more so than love. And again, that's not to say that you aren't supposed to love. That should be understood. There are scriptures that command the wife to love the husband. But this is talking about a respect. A man has a need for respect. A man has an ego, which all of you women know that already. And sometimes we criticize that and talk about the male ego and how all of these things happen. Well, sure, there are abuses of it. And I'm not trying to defend every abuse, this macho image that a lot of people portray. I'm not trying to defend all of those things, but I'm saying that regardless of what you think about it, God did create a man with an ego that's different than a woman's. A man has a desire to be respected, uh, to be a leader, to be a head. It's programmed into him, just like a computer. God pre-programmed us when he made us. And these... Uh, that knowledge is on the inside of us. And you cannot go to an extreme. A man can't take that and become abusive, become authoritative, authoritative dictator. That's not what I'm talking about. There's an abuse there. But there's also an abuse if a woman just tries to say, well, you ought to get delivered of that ego. That's not godly. No, having an ego is godly within confines, with limits on it. And a woman needs to recognize that that's part of a man and she needs to learn how to cooperate with it instead of fight against it. Amen? So here the Lord is talking about the wives in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Well, that's an awesome statement. The Lord gave the man a command to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's an awesome statement. How could anybody ever fulfill that? Well, here's another statement that the woman is supposed to submit unto her husband as unto the Lord. Well, that's an awesome statement. A lot of women think, well, if, I, if my husband acted like the Lord, I'd be able to submit to, like, to the Lord. 
It's an awesome statement to be able to say that you're supposed to submit. And I know that Paul, when he wrote this, knew that none of these husbands were exactly like the Lord. Amen. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Some strong statements. There's a lot of things I believe that we could deal with here about how does a wife show respect unto her husband? How does a wife give the husband the respect that he needs in a marriage? Again, just affection, saying that you love them, things like that, is not all that a man desires. A man really desires to feel respect, to feel like the wife admires him, respects him, values him, as a leader in the home, those kind of things are what a man is looking for. How does a wife accomplish that? Well, there's probably a lot of ways. First of all, let me mention one way that you don't accomplish it, all right? You do not accomplish this by criticism or nagging. I tell you, nagging is one of the, I think, the most deadly things in any marriage. And I believe that a woman, again, tends to nag more than a man does because of this feeling that she doesn't have the headship. She's not sitting at the steering wheel and she doesn't have the authority to literally give the direction and so what she do is pick and nag. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about, I quoted some of those things last night about the continual droppings of a wife or like a, I mean the naggings of a wife or like a continual dropping in a rainy day. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a wide and brawling house with a contentious woman, etc. Jamie's got a teaching out on this, which is really good, and she entitles it, Don't Be a Drip. <laughs> it's really good about the contentious woman. But that is not the way to get your husband to do things. And you know, women will do things like, they'll put in little statements here every once in a while, and a lot of the times it's done in the presence of a third person where the mate won't explode but yet you get your dig in. Go ahead and say things like, well, boy, they never fix anything around the house. They can't do anything. They don't ever make any decisions. I have to take leadership. I have to do this, etc." Little statements like that are nagging, and I guarantee you it will hurt a man. It'll hurt their ego or whatever you want to call it. it they will not be feeling respect from it. And instead of motivating the man, a woman was thinking, well, if I nag and pester them about this, I'll eventually get action out of them. If you would wake up and look around, it's not working. <laughs> Your criticism... Men do not like to be herded, driven to something. There's just a natural resistance on the inside that when a woman gets up and demands it, there's this natural resistance of no. I, it's not that you mind doing it, it's that you mind being demanded to do it. You know, one of the things that Jamie and I have talked about, and this has become kind of an issue. It's a small thing in our marriage, but it was, it was an issue that when I was a kid, you know, I was under my parents' authority, and one of my major jobs was to take out the trash. And it never was, you know, please take out the trash. It was, take out the trash. There's a difference between the two. And I did it, and it never really bothered me that much when I was a kid. But when I got married, I didn't expect to have somebody say, Take out the trash. <laughs> and Jamie didn't mean that the way that I was taking it. But nonetheless, it wasn't like, Would you please take out the trash? Or the trash needs emptying. It was always, Take out the trash. And it got to where, boy, taking out the trash was like a uh, status symbol. 
It's like, man, if I have to take out the trash, it was me admitting defeat. It was, I was being badgered into it. I was being forced into it. And for a long period of time, the way we compromised was we had the kids do it. <laughs> now we live in a place where I burn the trash and I do it without being told. Jamie will sometimes have to remind me and she just sets all of this trash right in the middle of the floor. She never says anything and it just becomes obvious it needs to be <laughs> empty. I'm doing a lot better. I burn the trash real regular now, amen. But it was not the fact that taking out the trash was a problem. It was the fact that it was demanded. It's something like, you do this. I don't know if that gets across to you or not. I imagine most of the men can understand what I'm saying. It's not that you mind doing something. It's the way that it's being done. You don't want your wife to be your mother. You don't want your wife to dictate to you. You like to feel that respect. You like to feel like you're the leader because God made us to be that way. And women, I know that this is hard sometimes for you to give because men aren't always the leaders that they're supposed to be. And there's a lot of you that actually are a lot more qualified to do certain things than your husband is. And it's hard for you to step aside and see your husband not get something done. It's easier for you just to step in and do it. But I tell you, in the long run, you'll be far better off if you let some things go undone or let them get done wrong and let that man grow up and grow into the responsibility that God gave him. You'd be better off in the long run to just let things fail and make that man rise to his position of responsibility. You'd be a lot better off and the marriage would be better off because of it. So anyway, one of the ways you do not get show your husband respect is by nagging at him. And I tell you, if you just open up your eyes, it's not working. All of the nagging is just a source of criticism and things like that. You ought to go to the Lord and ask God about it. Pray and let God do it. You know, when Jamie deals with me on a human level, when she starts nagging at me, and she doesn't do it in the sense that I'm talking about right now, but whenever she starts laying down a criticism or just saying something, did you know that that doesn't motivate me? I can deal with her on that human level. What really gets me is when she just gets quiet, quits talking about it, and all of a sudden I get to thinking, and boy, God gets on my case because she's gone to God and she's prayed about it. Now, I can handle Jamie, but I can't handle God. When God gets on my case, I guarantee you all of a sudden I get motivated. <laughs> Women, your best defense is to quit complaining, quit saying things, quit prodding, quit nagging, quit trying to do it, because every time you're doing that, the man is taking it as a criticism that you don't respect him. You don't like the direction he's given in the house. You're dissatisfied with his performance. You may love him in spite of it because you're just a nice person. You love God and you're committed to love them, but you don't respect him. And I guarantee you that is not what God commanded you to do. You've got to get this perception across that you do respect them. And one way you do not show that is by nagging. Another way, and there's a lot of ways, but this is the main thing I'm going to be dealing with today, is in these scriptures, I believe that one of the dominant things that a woman can do to show respect towards her husband is submission. And I believe that in context, that's the reason that the Lord is talking about submission right here. Now, submission is a favorite topic among women. Amen. Everybody loves to hear about this, right? There's been a lot of abuse of this, and I hadn't got time to explain some of that. I hope that nobody misunderstands what I'm saying. I'm not preaching in extreme to this. There has been a teaching that I was brought up under, and I, I could give you examples of this one woman who her husband went out and uh, took her to these parties where they swapped wives. They took dope. They did all of these kind of things. And this woman was a believer. Her husband was in the church. He was supposed to be a believer, but it's questionable. 
And they would go to all of these things. And the women who were teaching this submission in the church that I grew up in taught that you were supposed to submit in every single thing, regardless of what's done. They told this woman that if uh, he wants to swap wives at these parties, go ahead and do it. If he wants you to take dope, you do it. And it's not held accountable to you. He's guilty. He'll have to answer to God and you will not have to answer because you've obeyed God by obeying your husband. And you may not have been exposed to that, but there is that extreme on teaching. That is not what the Word of God teaches. You never submit to your husband in anything that causes you to sin against God. You don't submit to anybody. Your submission to God is superior to your submission to your husband or to anybody else. And there's examples of this over in 1 Peter chapter 2, where uh, Peter, chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3 is where most people will teach this kind of extreme submission from. And they'll use the example of Sarah submitting unto Abraham in everything. And so they'll use 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3. And over there in chapter 3, it says, Likewise, ye wives, submit yourselves unto your husband. If you take the likewise, that means it's making a comparison. It goes back into the second chapter. And when you look in the second chapter, it uses three examples there about submitting yourself, first of all, unto a master, unto a king, and then even Christ himself submitted himself and didn't revile back. But in each one of these situations, you can prove the very person who wrote this, Peter, who said, submit yourself unto every ordinance of God, I mean, of the king, for the Lord's sake, as unto the king, as supreme, or as unto rulers who are sent by him. Peter, the very one who wrote that, showed you by his example that submission and obedience are not synonymous. Peter, when he was commanded by the elders not to preach anymore in the name of the Lord over in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says, you judge yourself which is right. Should we obey God or obey men? And he refused to disobey God. He refused to quit preaching the gospel and quit uh, speaking in the name of the Lord when he was commanded to do it by his superiors. And so he, by example, showed you that you never disobey God, and yet he didn't rebel at their position, at their authority. He submitted, and when they beat him, it says in Acts chapter 4, that they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord. They didn't go out and organize a revolt. They didn't begin to start criticizing the government, criticizing these things. They didn't speak evil. They didn't come into scorning where they began to do these things. They didn't obey, but they didn't rebel. Most people think submission and obedience are synonyms, that they're synonymous, and it is not. It is possible for you to disobey a command and yet be in 100% submission, even as uh, Peter was with the government. It is possible for a woman to disobey an ungodly command from an ungodly husband and yet submit herself unto that man and still show the respect unto him that she's supposed to in these scriptures. Now, there's a lot of illustrations of this, but just one example is that if I've had women come to me before and say when we teach on the subject of submission that my husband has forbid me to ever go to church again, am I supposed to do that? Well, the answer to that is no, that you don't obey something like that because the Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 3 that you are not supposed to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's a command from God. You do not obey an ungodly command. But there is a right and a wrong way to do that. For instance, if a woman says, You old reprobate husband, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. You ungodly thing, you go to church, you can go to hell, but I'm not going to go to hell, bless God. I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to serve God. If you did that, you not only didn't obey him, but you rebelled. You were not in submission. That is not what the Word teaches, and you didn't show any respect at all. But you could do it this way. First of all, if a man tells a woman to not go to church anymore, the Scripture forbid 
you forsaking the assembling of yourself. It didn't forbid you missing a service every once in a while. There's a difference between forsaking something and cutting back, trying to accommodate as much as you can. There's a lot of women, probably not in this church, it doesn't apply, but a lot of denominational churches and things like that, they have a tremendous amount of women's knitting circles, gossip parties, and things like this where they go, and it is not edifying, it's not godly, it is not promoting spiritual growth. There's a lot of church activities that some people could cut out and be none the worse off for it. If a woman is going to church so much so that she is not ministering to her husband and ministering to her family, if before she got born again, he came home every night and she fixed him food and, and loved him and was there to minister to him, and after she gets born again, it's pot pie every, every uh, night or TV dinners because she's always at church and he now has to fix his own food and he has to wash his own clothes and she's never there, well, then I'd tell you, woman, that you need to cut some of that stuff out. Not forsake it, but cut it out and begin to give priority to your family. So sometimes you need to read between the lines. What's your husband really saying? Is it, is, is it he's against you going to church? Or is it that he's against you never ministering to them anymore, never being there, never being a part of the family, them just literally being without a mother or without a wife? You need to do some reading between the lines. And, and you can cut back in an effort to try and accommodate that husband. But if it comes literally to, to a place where he just forbids you to have any association with Christians or things like that, the proper way to respond would be for the woman to say, look, I love you, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to respect you in everything that I possibly can. But if you make me choose between God and between you, I've got to serve God first. I will not forsake the assembling of myself together, but I want you to know that I love you, I respect you, and I'm going to do everything I can to get along with you. Now, see, that's a proper way. You operated in submission. You didn't rebel. You were submitted, although you didn't obey. So submission and obedience are not synonyms. They are not the same thing. And you know, women, by doing this, by submitting and saying, I recognize that you're the head, I think that that is probably the greatest way. It's not the only way, but it's probably the greatest way that a woman shows respect unto her husband is to say that I'm trusting you. I believe that you're responsible. And I tell you, women, it'll jack, jerk the slack out of your husband in a hurry. Sometimes instead of you giving your opinion and always stating what you think and getting into an argument, you know, if sometimes the husband is making a major decision and you, you just come back and say, well, I trust God that you're going to make the right decision, that God's going to give you wisdom. And I totally trust your opinion. Boy, some of your husbands would all of a sudden open their eyes and they'd, say, they'd think twice about what they was doing. They'd go and pray and say, God, am I sure? Is this the right thing? <laughs> You'd get some of those men all of a sudden to start taking the leadership that they were supposed to be taking all along if the wife would just submit. Submission is not something that is done to you. It's something that you have to volunteer on your own. And this is another abuse that's been made of submission. People will hear this. Men will hear teaching like this and they'll say, uh-huh, did you hear that? They'll go home and say, from now on, you're going to submit. Submit is an attitude of the heart and it cannot be dictated. It is 100% voluntary. Men, you have no control over your wife submitting except through love and through prayer. You cannot dictate submission. If any of you men go home and say, well, boy, that's the way it's going to be in our house from now on. You're going to submit, woman. Then you miss the whole thing that we're talking about. Submission is a voluntary thing. Like, for instance, I heard Dave Duell tell this story about a little kid who was doing 
some things and standing up and playing around during the service. And the minister finally just got mad. And he said, you sit down and shut up. And that little kid sat down. But then he leaned over to the kid next to him and he says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> now see, you can dictate obedience. You can physically restrain a person through corporal punishment with children or through law, government, with adults. You can restrain a person and dictate actions, but you cannot dictate that position of the heart. Submission is an attitude of the heart. And women, on the other hand, there may be some of you that go out of here and you bite your lip, you know, and you say, well, bless God, I'm going to start obeying what they say, but I don't like it. Well, that's not submission. And it's not going to release the life and the ability of God. It's not just compliance to, well, okay, you make the decisions. It's an attitude in the heart. In your heart, you need to reach a place to where you really believe God. You know, submission, women who uh, reject that will look at it as, well, that's weakness on my part. If you understand submission, it is exactly the opposite. Submitting yourself is probably, it takes more faith, more strength on the part of a woman to submit than I think anything else that God could have demanded of you. I mean, to get to a place to where you literally are not going to get in there and try and manipulate, dominate, and force, you are literally going to throw this thing open that God, I'm at your mercy Boy, that takes a tremendous amount of strength. It takes a tremendous amount of strength. It's one of the strongest things that you'll ever do. And it is not a weak position on your part. And I tell you, women, it'll bring the power of God to bear in your marriage, I believe, as quick as anything. When you begin to start submitting, and again, I'm not talking about submitting to things outside of God's Word, contrary to God's Word, sin, disobedience, but I'm talking about just when there's an opinion difference. The husband isn't everything that you want him to be. Maybe he doesn't do things the way that you want him to do. And instead of you getting in and telling him how it should be done and becoming the head, dominant, leading the home, I don't care even if it's being done wrong. Defer that thing if it's not sin and let that man begin to start taking his leadership. And if he blows it, eventually he'll learn by hard knocks. Like say, for instance, in the area of finances, maybe you're the one who's better equipped to handle the finances than the husband is. Maybe he doesn't pay bills. Maybe he doesn't do this. Maybe he doesn't balance a checkbook. Maybe he doesn't do this. And you can do it a lot better. And again, let me throw this in. We assign roles that the husband always has to control all the finances. I don't think it has to be that way. Sometimes a woman is just literally more gifted in that than a man is. I don't think that, that a man has to do that. That's up for debate. But anyway, I'm just saying maybe the wife would like for the man to take more leadership. Maybe he isn't showing responsibility in the financial realm. The woman makes a decision. She would like for the man to do it. You know one way to change that situation? is in love, first of all, you've got to deal with your attitude before you make any outward actions. But once you deal with that attitude and once you can honestly say from your heart that, man, I'm willing to just trust God and turn this over to you. This is not something. It doesn't minister to me. It's, it's oppressive to me. I think that you ought to be taking the leadership in this thing. You just begin to start deferring some of those things to that man. And when he fails, instead of you stepping back in and taking care of the thing and straightening it out, let him fail. Let some of your bills go unpaid. Let a creditor call you. You may think about, oh, our reputation, our credit rating and all this. I guarantee you, if you let that man crash, he'll eventually wise up and begin to recognize he's got to begin to start taking some leadership and he'll rise to the forefront. 
I remember this one story about a woman who wanted her husband to make decisions on the kids, you know, buying clothes and helping in things. It was just totally the woman's responsibility. That's the way that they had worked it out. And she didn't like it. She wanted him to have more uh, leadership in it. And uh, she got along this same line of counseling, basically, that uh, she ought to just draw back and let the man start doing it. She said, but if I do that, he won't do anything. Nothing will ever get done. And the answer was, well, then let it just fail. Let it not get done. She finally decided to do that, and after a while, I mean, things got bad, but you know, that man, all of a sudden, he began to start taking his leadership, and when they finally talked about it after the situation was worked out, he says, well, you know, the reason I never did anything before is because I never had an opportunity. You were always doing it. Now, that kind of attitude, see, happens a lot of times in marriages. And women, you husband may not be as quick to do things as you think he should, but I tell you, one of the things that you can do, I believe, to show respect and to build that man up and help him become the head of the home that he's supposed to be is to just learn to submit, is learn to defer. When you have a differences of opinion, if it's not something that is contrary to God's Word and is deliberately sin, learn to submit and let that man take leadership in those places. And you know, by doing that, I guarantee you, you'll minister to your husband. Again, I believe that most of the men in this place are not the ones who are going to take this and go to an extreme and abuse it and things like that. Most of your husbands in here, I believe, love God and want to do the right things. They may be doing a piddling poor job in your estimation, but it's their desire to be what God wants them to be. And through you submitting and through you loving them, you are not going to turn them loose to abuse you Instead, you're going to literally free them up to begin to be the man that God wants them to be. And it's really important. Women, the attitude of submission is not prevalent in our society at all. In the secular realm, it's nearly non-existent. And in the church, it's still not very well established. There's an independent, Eve rules added, Adam attitude in the body of Christ today that I guarantee you is detrimental to marriage. It is not God's plan. And there needs to be some readjustment on our part. You know, there's a very similar thing here, like when the Lord commands us to submit to government. When He tells us to submit, even in the face of persecution. When somebody persecutes you, and if they slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek also. It's the same principle that He's talking about in submission. If somebody takes you to law and sues you at law, don't let him just have your coat, give him your cloak also. If somebody compels you to go one mile under the, the... Back in that day, the Roman soldiers could come up to anybody on the street and command them to bear their burden for one mile. And the Lord was saying, instead of resenting that, instead of being rebellious at it and just taking it exactly one mile, He says, go two miles. Don't let them take it from you. Submit and just give it. You know, that kind of attitude, it's the exact same thing that the Lord's dealing with in a husband and wife's submission. How can you do those kind of things? If there isn't a God, if God doesn't flow through our actions, if we can't release the ability of God through submitting unto Him and obeying Him, did you know that turning the other cheek when somebody smites you on one cheek would be the most foolish thing in the world? I mean, you're going to get killed with that kind of attitude. Letting somebody take you to law and sue something from you? Well, everybody would hear about it. Man, everybody would begin to start suing you. You'd just become a patsy. You'd have no defense but overcome evil with good. Don't get in and defend and fight for yourself. Instead, defer the thing to God. Let God be the one that sets the record straight. If there wasn't a God, turning the other cheek will get you killed. 
if there wasn't a God, letting somebody sue you and just willfully not resist the thing would be an invitation to disaster. But because there is God, and if you have faith, when you submit and walk in love instead of walk in strife and instead of promoting yourself, you just defer the thing and think more about the well-being of the other person. If your neighbor, if your enemy is hungry, feed him is what the Bible says. If he thirsts, give him something to drink. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind. If you're defending yourself, that's the wrong thing to do. But if God's your defense, then you can feed your enemy. You can turn the other cheek, and by doing so, you're heaping coals of fire upon their head. You're releasing the conviction of God upon them. Man, the power of God flows through a person who will submit themselves unto God and not become their own defense, their own avenger. And see, the same thing happens in marriage. Women, there's a tendency on your part to think, well, if I have to submit, that guy's going to run over me. I mean, I've got no defense whatsoever. If I quit giving my opinion and criticizing and saying what I think and telling him when he's wrong and prodding him every once in a while, the guy's, I mean, he's already a jerk. He's not doing any good now. He'll become ten times worse if I quit prodding him. He'll never amount to anything if I don't get in there and say something. You know what you're saying, and I'm saying this in love, but you're saying I don't really have faith in God, that God's going to do anything about it. If I don't do it, it won't get done. It's a tremendous lack of faith. It takes a tremendous woman of faith to submit and to say, God, that man is your problem, not my problem. God, you deal with him. I'm going to love him, and as long as it's not directly in opposition to your word, I'm just going to go with him to the ends of the earth. I'm going to trust you to straighten that guy out. Women, by doing that, you'll release the power of God into that marriage. You'll release the conviction of God on him. But I tell you, if you defend yourself, God won't defend you. You get in there and you become dominant yourself. You begin to get in there and exercise yourself and you straighten that man out and you make things happen. And I guarantee you, you're going to get only what you can produce. If you'll defer and submit and in love, respect that man and build him up even when he's wrong in your opinion, you'll release the power of God into that situation. I guarantee you, God will begin to work on that man like you never thought possible. You'll find out that through encouraging that man and respecting him, that man all of a sudden will become accountable and he'll begin to start saying, it's important when I do that woman is totally dependent on me. She lets me make these, response, these decisions. He'll recognize his responsibility. He'll get before God, and I guarantee you, he'll begin to start getting serious about some things. He'll take leadership in areas that he never would have taken leadership in before. Sisters, you defend yourself, God won't defend you. If you'll submit and defer and respect that man and show him your respect, God will begin to start working in that man's life. That man will begin to start treating you like a queen because you've been treating him like a king. You know that there's been a lot of people that have come out against me. When you minister, you get some people that love you and some people that hate you. And I've had some people hate me. I've had some people come out against me. I've got death warrants out for me right now. People that'll kill me if I ever step on their property. I've got some nationwide ministers that if I call their name, you'd know them that have thrown all of the way to their ministry behind me. I'm the slickest cult that ever has come along. They've said it publicly and done all kinds of things. I had a lot of people come out against me and I just made a decision that, man, it's not my responsibility to defend myself. God's the avenger of such, and he'll take care of it. And, you know, I can give you some testimony. Not all of those things are resolved yet, but some of them have been resolved. Like the Full Gospel Businessmen's Group, 
I got completely blackballed in the state of Colorado that for about five years period of time I couldn't minister in any full gospel businessmen's group because I was such a heretic. They wouldn't let me in. And this one group in Lamar, Colorado, where I live, the one thing that they really disliked about me was that people were in these old denominational churches that the pastor wasn't even born again and the full gospel businessman was telling them, you just go right back into this church. And I told them, God forbid, don't sit under somebody that's not born again and telling you, you know, humanistic doctrine. Get out of there. Man, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I was telling them to get out in a hurry. And the full gospel businessman, see, this hurt their standing with the churches, and so they got offended about it, and they got criticizing me, and etc. And anyway, there was a big rift over it. And there was this one man who is a... Uh, an uh, officer in the full gospel ministers group who had never met me before, but he had heard all of these stories about me and stuff. And so he just went around telling people how much he hated me, how sorry I was, how I was of the devil. He told people that had my tapes and stuff that they ought to burn them, that they'd get demon-possessed through it. He just spent a lot of effort criticizing me and fighting against me. I'd go to these full gospel businessmen's group in uh, Lamar, Colorado, about 400 people at them, and I'd walk in, and everybody would be sitting at a table. I'd sit down and they'd get up and leave. And it'd just leave me and Jamie sitting by ourselves. I mean, they treated us like the plague. The uh, leaders of this full gospel businessmen's group, I'd walk up to them, want to shake them, shake their hand, and they'd just look at me and turn around and turn their back. I mean, intentionally. They just hated me. And I remember the Lord is so neat, see, because I didn't defend myself, because I didn't get in and get up and begin to fight and take the people that were coming to my meetings and stuff and begin to criticize full gospel. Instead, we brought our meetings in mass to those full gospel businessmen's meetings. We bring 30 or 40 people every time the doors were open. We just kept blessing them. I never spoke evil of them. They never heard a negative word from me about any of that. Because of that, Mel Tari was at this full gospel businessmen's meeting one night. And they had about 450 people there. And that night, I mean, people treated me worse than they'd ever treated me before. I mean, it was so obvious. It just was blatant the way that they were acting. And so, anyway, we went through all of that, sat down, and uh, they were getting into the preliminaries. And the full gospel businessmen are really big on promoting people and telling about how important this person is. They have the head table, and the closer you are to the center, the more important you are. And they're really into all this kind of stuff. So anyway, they had this guy up here who was a regional director over like seven states, and he was really important. And they spent 20 minutes telling everybody how important this guy was. And I mean, they was really buttering him up. And so he got up, and the first thing he did when he got up was to say, well, praise God, I see Andrew and Jamie Womack out there, and you are so blessed to have this couple living in your town and to sit under their ministry. And he spent about 10 or 15 minutes just pumping our ministry about how it had changed his life, how blessed he was. And I was just sitting there thinking, man, that was something else. I didn't defend myself. God did it openly. They were doing these things secretly to me, but God did it openly. God defended me. And did you know that every one of the president, the vice president, the treasurer, everybody came up after that was over just hugged me, told me how glad they were that I was there. Boy, I wanted to punch them right in the nose. I thought of spitting on them, but I didn't do it. And this one man who had criticized me so much, he wasn't there that night. But he moved to Colorado Springs the same time I moved to Colorado Springs. 
And he came to a full gospel convention, and Joe Nay was the speaker at it. And Joe Nay is the guy who was my best friend back 25 years ago. We lived together for a period of time nearly, and he got me started in the ministry. And Joe Nay, every service, would get up and have me come up and minister something or pray for somebody. And finally, the last night of a banquet, he spent 15 minutes just talking about what a blessing that I'd been in his life, how God had used me, and how that we had fellowshiped together. And this guy... For five years, he'd been fighting against me, criticizing me, and finally that night in the middle of this banquet came up and he just began to weep and cry and he says, man, I can't take this any longer. He says, everywhere I go, he says, I go into a house and somebody shares your tape and says that they got saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost through this tape. I hear, go over here and somebody got healed through listening to a tape. Everywhere I go, somebody's talking about how they've been blessed through your ministry and then I come to this thing and here you are standing up every service praying for people and I've hated you in my heart and then tonight he spends 15 minutes and this guy just said, I can't stand it any longer. Forgive me. I never even meant the guy. Didn't even know what he was doing. But see, God defended me. God took care of that thing. And on and on. I got another example of seven years a family hated me and the grandmother has a death warrant out for my life because they didn't understand something that happened. I haven't got time to explain it, but it was, it was a bad situation. Jamie and I got kidnapped one time and taken away from a funeral because they thought we were going to raise this boy from the dead. And so they kidnapped us and just parked us out there. And, and because of it, when we didn't show up, everybody thought that we hated the family. Here I was, this boy's closest friend, and I didn't show up. And if, by telling it, all I could do is hurt somebody. So instead, I didn't say anything. I never said anything to anybody. They never knew why I didn't show up. And this boy's brother, seven years later, was so upset, had so much hatred in his heart for me that he went to his pastor and his pastor was talking to him and found out that there was this root of hatred in his heart for me. And they lived in Branson, Colorado. He loaded him in the car right then, drove five miles up to our office, and I just happened to be in. And he brought that boy in and sat him down and says, you two work this thing out. There's no reason that you should have this strife between you. And so Brett began to say, we've never forgiven you for not coming. He said, Jeff loved you more than anybody else, and you didn't even show up at his funeral. And he wanted to know why. And I told him what his mother, what his grandmother had done and how his aunt had kidnapped us and literally parked us out in a field. And this guy knew his grandmother. She was part witch. And he knew that she'd do stuff like that. And this guy just broke down, began to weep, asked me to forgive him, put the thing back together. Did you know if I'd have come in there with my guns blazing, defending myself seven years before when they were hurt over this whole thing and stuff, nobody would have believed that. It wouldn't have worked out. But because I let that thing go, God defended me. God took care of it. God worked it out. And I tell you, it was miraculous how God did it. Brothers and sisters, submission is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. It releases the ability of God. But on the other hand, if you aren't submitting, if you're self-willed, if you try and be dominant, if you think that it's your position in life to change your mate, then I guarantee you, you are taking away God's intervention in your marriage. There's some of you women that need some changes in your marriage and in your mate. And the reason they haven't happened yet is because you haven't let God do it. You had not given God a chance. God can't get a word in edgewise. Amen or oh me. There's many different ways that you need to do this and the Lord needs to expand on it. But women, you need to start reverencing your husband. You need to let that man know 
that you recognize that he is the head of that home. In anything that is not out and out deliberate sin, rebellion towards God, that man has the authority to make those decisions and you're going to follow him. And you are not going to put in your two cents unless it's constructive and unless he desires it, unless it's productive, but you aren't going to criticize, you aren't going to nag, you aren't going to speak evil of him, make little snide remarks that you hope motivate him, prod him to get going. You're going to begin to start respecting and loving that man and building him up, making him think that, man, you trust him, you'll go with him to the ends of the earth. And women, if you'll do that, I guarantee your husband will respond to it. It'll be the most powerful thing you've ever done in that marriage to help that marriage. Submission is not a weak thing. It takes more faith, I believe, to submit than it does to lead. It's going to take a lot of strength. It's going to take a lot of faith. And it's going to take a powerful relationship with God, a powerful faith in God, for you to be able to follow through on that. But I tell you what, it's worth the effort. And remember, man, that the things we're talking about, you can't take this and go home and say, that's the way it's going to be. You're going to submit, woman. You cannot dictate submission. It's something that a woman has to give freely. And if that woman isn't giving it to you freely, you cannot dictate it. Amen? Amen. All you can do is pray about it, and you can love that woman as Christ loved the church. And I guarantee you, when you prove your love to her, when she gets to a place to where she knows that, man, you're going to do, whether you're perfect or not, you're going to do everything that you think is best for her. You're going to lay down your life for that woman the way that Christ laid down his life for the church. When that woman gets convinced of that, boy, submission will not be hard. But until the man becomes perfect, woman, you're going to have to use a lot of faith. Until the woman becomes perfect, man, you're going to have to just start taking her blame and commending your love towards even that, you know, like we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Until we get perfect, you aren't going to have, you, you don't need to wait until your mate generates this kind of response from you. It needs to be a decision you make in your heart because God's Word says it. Man, you love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. And wife, you reverence your husband. And if we would just make those two adjustments right there, I believe that, boy, marriages could be tremendously different in here. Husbands are giving their wife respect. Women are giving their wives, their husbands, love. Which we need both of those things, but the need of the man, the primary need is respect. The primary need of the woman is love. And we need to begin to start accommodating our mate, not treating them the way that we want to be treated, but treat them the way that they need to be treated. Amen? Amen. I tell you, that'll make a tremendous difference in your relationship. Boy, there's so much more. I know that Rob is up here preaching to me in between the sessions, and he's got a lot of things to say on this subject. There's just so much more to share, but uh, we can't give, I can't tell you everything I know in just a few minutes. I can come close but not everything. Amen? You just have to take this and let God amplify it. But I do believe that the things that I've shared are really the things that God wanted me to major on. There are some needy areas, and you need to pray about it, take it to heart, and act on it, and it'll make a difference in your life. Amen? We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net 
And you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.